Tell us a little bit about what you saw and, and, and being able to relay that message to Cora when you watched Kimbrel pitch and, and kind of help out so he wasn't uh, tipping his pitches. So tipping pitches, we hear about it all the time. People at home understand what tipping pitches is all about. It's amazing. Man. And that's remarkable. Alex, the trailer for the new Adam Sandler movie directed by the Safdie brothers called Uncut Gems dropped today on social media and elsewhere. Have you watched it? Yeah, and you're about to take number one of my uh, of my three up this week. But oh, no. I, I should have guessed this would have been our opening bit, so please proceed. Well, it's not necessarily about that or the movie or really even Mike Francesa, although Mike Francesa is featured in it, which leads me to what I'm going to start by talking about this week. And that is Mike Francesa has a standing radio interview, as we've talked about in the past couple of weeks, with a number of high-profile guys, guys that are still managers, guys who used to be managers. And one of those guys is Joe Girardi. On his radio show yesterday, he was talking to Joe Girardi about the Yankees heading into the postseason and all their injuries and how they can overcome that. And Francesa, being obsessed with grinders, as he is, talked about Brett Gardner and how now, you know, kind of against their expectations... Brett Gardner will have to play every day in center field for a team that traded for John Carlosan and has Aaron Judge and Aaron has Aaron Hicks, who has been playing very well when he hasn't been injured. Surprisingly, they're going to have to play Brett Gardner every day. So he says that to Joe Girardi. And Joe Girardi says back, he kind of laughs a little bit, and he's like, yeah, Gardy, I love Gardy. He's such a grinder. Guard dog. He calls him guard dog. Alex, guard dog is the nickname for Brett Gardner. Could you have even come up with something better if you tried? That's got to be the most fitting name for him, right? Yes. Like, <laughs> like he, I, sports commentators love to talk about this idea of like a, of like a bulldog mentality. But like, I look at Brett, Brett Gardner and I literally just see it like a, like a bulldog. Yes. Like I, like I have, I have images of my head I have images in my head of him like sprinting in from center field because he's like trying to fight someone and stand up for someone else. And I'm like, literally, it's just a Spider-Man meme of them pointing at each other, right? <laughs> like, they're the, they're, it's the same thing. Well, he's also a guard dog to the unwritten rules of baseball as well. <laughs> Did you know that Brett Gardner has 27 home runs this year? Yeah, man. Yeah. Juiced ball? Sure. Why not? I don't know, man. He's filling in that everyday role. He's doing what he needs to do. He's earning the forever approval of the Pope Mike Francesa. Um, I wonder if the Pope Mike Francesa would approve of our podcast. Mike Francesa, please come on to me. That would be a banner day for us, honestly. <laughs> That's kind of like, we could retire after that, if we're being quite honest. We could. Um, all right. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Pedro Martinez asked me anything on Bleacher Report. Uh, the Royals' new manager. And uh, we're going to do a little bit of a recap of the 2019 baseball season. But before we do that, I'm Bobby Wagner. I'm Alex Baisley. And this is Tipping Pitches, the podcast that is just barraging Mike Francesa's inbox trying to get him on. Alex, I was in San Diego this weekend. 
And when I go to a new city that has a ballpark, I have to go to a game. And so I have now checked Petco Park off of my list of all 30 baseball stadiums in the United States. It's really beautiful. Every, everything everyone says is true. They haven't been lying to me. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, the fact that it's in like one of the most gorgeous parts of California certainly doesn't hurt. Like, like if you're, if you're playing in Southern California, like the bar is pretty darn high. Yes. Like if you're playing in Milwaukee, no disrespect to Milwaukee, like (laughs) Miller Park has to really stand out for you to be like, wow, it's a gorgeous ballpark. Just a drive by shooting of Milwaukee, but that's fine. (laughs) Yeah. Um, No, I went. It was a delightful experience. I love uh I I love to walk around a ballpark and I love to try to get a feel for like the decisions that were made that went into it and it feels like Petco a lot of the decisions that went into it are like we want to we want to highlight like the food culture of San Diego. We want to highlight like the open space like they have a park in center field where you can just like sit and watch on like a big screen as well as like in certain parts of it see from center field. Um, so it was a really fun experience, despite the fact that, uh, I was watching a a game between the Padres and the Diamondbacks, one of those teams being 30 games out of first place and the other team being pretty much eliminated from the NL wildcard by the time, uh, the day was over. Um, and the Padres had fired their manager two days earlier and were sitting their three best players and starting Garrett Richards, who I didn't even know was on the Padres. Really sad to watch as Garrett Richards made it an inning in the third. But uh, maybe next year will be the bounce back for our man, Garrett Richards. One could hope. I feel like we've been saying that for like five years at this point. Like, remember when he was, that's like, that's such a jarring thing as a, as a baseball fan to like, look up and be like, wow, this guy is still, he's just still kicking around. He's still playing baseball. Garrett Richards used to be really good. He's still pretty young. Yeah, I know. Right. Like, who are we going to be talking about three or four years from now? Who we're gonna we're gonna be scrolling our phones, then look up, and we're gonna be like, "Wow, he's still playing!" Like Gio Ursula. Today I saw a Chase Headley highlight, and I'm oh. like, "Is he? He's wow! He's still <laughs> a human." <laughs> uh, the obvious answer here would be Matt Harvey. The less obvious answer and more depressing answer would be Noah Syndergaard. <laughs> oh wow! Uh, <laughs> Touchy subject. Yeah, that might be a little too spicy. As Noah Syndergaard had a bad start, you know in the hour before we started recording this podcast. And the Mets are about to be eliminated from the playoffs. So my emotions are in shambles. However, I'm going to ignore that and power through. Uh, here are two things that I want to talk to you about, about San Diego and Petco Park. One, urban development. Two, the military-industrial complex. Which do you want to talk about first? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> let's, go with, uh, let's go with the lighter topic first and talk the... the um, ravishing effect that urban development is having on communities uh, across the country. Okay. Uh, so Petco Park is surrounded by just gentrification. It's all like high-rise apartment buildings that feel like really corporate and gray. It's very concrete It's in um, the, the gas lamp district in San Diego. And pretty much the only other thing in the gas lamp district is like hotels and bougie apartment complex buildings and uh, like shitty clubs that like 40-year-old dudes in jeans and blazers go into trying to hit on uh, younger women. So I didn't love the area and I didn't love the feeling of the ballpark being plopped right down into that area 
and the effects that you can kind of infer came from doing that. Like the whole idea of neighborhood revitalization being going hand in hand with building a new baseball stadium. Uh, it, it felt really pertinent while I was at the game because like I I did a lap around the stadium, just kind of walked around at 360 outside it and inside it. And there are a lot of just like fucking open air bars, you know, like there's a lot of like artisan pizza. There's a lot of commerce and coffee shops and that kind of thing. And I don't know, it didn't feel... Great, and it made me think about the future of uh, ballpark, uh, the future ballpark development plan for someone for a team like the A's, because you know you and I have talked several times about how we hope that the development of a new stadium in a different location or in the same location, um, whatever the A's finally decide that they're going to do, will not have that similar effect on your home city of Oakland. Yeah, I mean. As if like the A's could do any more at this point, right? Like that's like it's done at this point, right? Whether, whether <laughs> where, wherever the A's decide to plop down their ballpark, um, they are they are going to be a footnote in the chapter, um, which is which of is certainly gen- not to the gentrification <laughs> yeah. of the city. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I, I mean, and certainly Petco is one of a number of. Uh, examples of this the the nationals park is a is another one huge one. um this is a this is a really long conversation to have with no easy answers i mean there right now you you get into talking about the increasing urbanization of america and how more and more people are flocking to cities and they're becoming denser and denser and teams are more and more Teams are less and less willing to uh, build bar- ballparks that aren't easily accessible, and yeah. and are more interested in building them where they can capitalize off of that um, those markets. 365 days a year, right? Like you want to um, build a community around the ballpark that can thrive, not just you know six or seven months out of the season. Um, so. Uh, it feels like the tide has already turned and uh and baseball teams are just kind of capitalizing all of this and I don't really know how you uh how you push back on that. I mean, it, it's just the the corporatization of sports teams. Sports are businesses as we love to talk about on this <laughs> podcast, right? Like it's it's just like a uh a ritzy new restaurant moving into a uh, a neighborhood and attracting all the young professionals who are also moving in. I mean, that's what, these are the people that they're trying to draw people with um, the means to, to go to these games and spend money on it. So it's, it remains to be seen what happens, but I, I'm sure that you and I are not optimistic. Yeah. Well, it's not sexy to try to appeal to the people who are already in an area that you're building a stadium, because if, you know, you go to like the business council of a city and you try to make that claim and they're like, well, yeah, we we knew these people existed and we've never given a shit about them. Why don't you pitch us on the idea of bringing in younger, richer, probably wider people to spend more money in this area and make it a commercial center? Um, I can't help but notice the irony of us discussing all of this and the corporatization of baseball while just referring to where the Padres play baseball as Petco, which we're just saying the name of a brand. We're not even saying like Petco Park. <laughs> like we're just saying yeah. Petco which is just a big, huge corporation that has 
engendered a lot of goodwill through a lot of different ways um, via PR. And one of them is the San Diego Padres baseball stadium. Um, yeah, bring, bring back naming uh, ballparks just after the team. Yankee yeah. Stadium. It's iconic. Or, or like the area. <laughs> I don't even give it like Camden Yards. Like what? Maybe there's like a corporate like thread that you can pull on for that one. I don't really know. But yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. What would you I don't even know what you would call like what would you call the new A's stadium? I mean, like the I like the Oakland Coliseum because it just that's what it is. It's a it's a <laughs> it's in the title. <laughs> it's not O.co Coliseum or the I love the transformation that the Giants ballpark has gone through over the last few years. I know. Didn't I call I it just, candlestick like on this podcast or something? Yes. Yeah. I like I can't keep up at this point. Like, is it Pac Bell? Is it ATT? Is it Oracle? Like, it's just it's a meme at this point, is what it is. Is it not ATT? Is it Oracle no, now? Yeah. Oh my god. Is the is the Warriors new stadium gonna be called Oracle as well? Oh no, baby. That's the Chase Center. Oh my God. So they got bought out. So Oracle dropped the bag for the Giants, left the Warriors as soon as they got good. What this seems like a bad investment, Oracle. I don't know. <laughs> you know, you gotta get in on the ground floor, right? Like the Giants are on the come up right now. That's one way of looking at it. Okay, shall we talk about the military industrial complex in baseball? Sure. The San Diego Padres wear camo. Every Sunday? Did you know this? Um, I don't think I knew that fact, but I've seen a, a a lot of pictures of that sort of thing. Yes. So San Diego is a military town. I will say that because the there's a naval base in San Diego, and uh, that's where Miramar is. And there are a lot of, there's like a big military feel as you go around the city. And I spent like literally one weekend there, but I have some family that lives there and that is how it's been described to me. That's how I've anything I've read about like the Padres and their military ties, like that's kind of at the heart of all of it. I will say though, it feels a little strong when you're in the ballpark. Like you walk around and there are like literal posters of like fighter jets and with the San Diego Padres logo underneath them and the caption like team of the military. And like, what does that even mean? Like, we're just playing baseball out here, man. Like, I don't understand, like, the... I mean, I do understand it, but for a league that seems so, like, risk-averse and wants to, like, uh, water down everything and try to make it to be, like, the most... the product most appealing to as many people as possible, um, the, the, like, blatant military ties just makes me makes you really sad to see because it just reminds you of the fact that, like, Ameri- that that is like the most digestible version of appealing to Americans is just like being like, yeah, the military loves us, so you should love us. And there's really not more to it than that. Yeah. I, I mean, every team does this to a certain degree, right? I mean, I can't speak to every single baseball team, but the, the Mets have their own version of that, right? I mean, many, many baseball teams uh, salute military members in the middle of the game. And it's not, it's certainly not exclusive to baseball either. Obviously football's ties with the, the military industrial complex are, are well known, but I, I think you're, you're right about it just kind of being the, the boilerplate appeal to American values of it's just like, 
baseball and war, baby. <laughs> and like, it's, it's really easy, especially when it's kind of like, I, I don't know, been accepted for so long. If it's just baked into that culture, like it's much harder to question it. And it kind of, it kind of makes me think of the, like the ESPN documentary. And this might feel like a stretch, but the ESPN um, 30 for 30 about George Bush throwing out the, the first pitch at the Yankees game right after 9-11 had happened. Mm-hmm. And it's this total like lionization of this man in the midst of this like nationwide crisis, this nationwide just like fear. And that film has over the years taken on this sort of like mythology of its own. Right. And the, the, all the context is just kind of stripped from it because it's like, oh, well, like this is something that like we both can agree on, right? It's like baseball and America. And it's like that, do you realize like the slippery slope that that goes towards, right? Like you can't just lionize this dude and ignore everything that he did following this first pitch, right? Or leading up to this first pitch and just be like, oh, well, in this moment, like, like he was good. Um, and so... I sports are such an easy um, conductor for that sort of thing because you want to just be like, Oh, well, like this is where we, this is where we go to like, to get away from it all, you know? But, but when you're inherently making these connections to very political things that go on around the world, like you just, you can't make that argument, right? Like these are just political statements you're making now. I just think that it's important to remind ourselves how weird this connection is from the beginning. Like, you're right in using the phrase baked in. Like, this is very baked in. Like, we're so used to God Bless America before Take Me Out to the Ball Game. Obviously, the national anthem plays before every sporting event in this country. But there's no actual logical tie between fucking throwing a ball and hitting it with a stick and the military. Like, in football, like, I will at least hear the argument that the corporate... That, that that it's a two-way street, the benefit of the for both corporations, the United States military and the NFL, to link the two as the idea of warriors. Obviously, that's incredibly problematic and really toxic for the world and for sports. And it has ruined many people's brains in this world. But that at least kind of makes sense, right? Like that tie at least makes a little bit of sense. And then you look at baseball and it's like, yeah, these dudes are just like throwing a ball and hitting it with sticks. And like, this is what we used to do in the streets. When we were kids and uh, it has nothing to do with shooting and killing each other and drone strikes and all of the other stuff that the U.S. military does. Like they're not they're not even trying to embody the same values. Like where where does that begin and what is the connector? Is it just like the stars and stripes? Nothing more American than war and baseball like you're describing. It's so weird and it persists and I just don't know how it's going to stop. Yeah, it really is. It really is one of the things when, like, you take a step back and look at it. Like, it makes I would, no fucking sense. <laughs> like, like the military flyovers that they do, uh, and like the All Star Game or, or big like national games or something. I'm like, why? What is the what is the point of this? You're telling me you revved up these four or five planes that cost millions upon millions of dollars just so you could fly it over a baseball stadium once. And for what? What was the was, was that was that a, a really good use of our uh, of our taxpayers' money? 
Are we being real right now? Is it supposed to make me feel safe? Because it doesn't. <laughs> it reminds me that at any point, the U.S. military is uh, ready for conflict at my baseball stadium where I'm just chilling, eating a fucking hot dog. I don't know. There's We could obviously talk about this for 45 minutes, and, and we've talked about this plenty of times, and this is, I think, one of the... I think one of the biggest issues in all of sports and baseball as well is like the corporate ties of to the U.S. military. But there's obviously nothing that you and I are going to do to solve this problem on this podcast. So uh, all that being said, I know that I, I came out with two heavy hitting topics in my experience at the San Diego Padres baseball stadium. But uh, I had a good time, you know, all that despite <laughs> that I had a good time. And that's the uh, the power of baseball, huh? That's why we do this podcast. <laughs> Yeah, it makes you forget the imperialism for like just uh, just like three hours, you know. And in some cases, three hours and 45 minutes. Don't let Rob Manfred know. <laughs> um, okay, one other piece of news to talk about before we get into uh, the Pedro Martinez Ask Me Anything and the 2019 recap. Uh, and that piece of news is that the Royals, I, I mentioned that the Padres met, fired their manager. Um, they have not found a replacement for Andy Green yet. The Royals, however, also have dispatched with Ned Yost or I they didn't fire him right like he's retiring that was the thing uh yes that's correct so dispatched with was too strong a phrasing i'm sorry ned yost you you and your 2015 world series title can shove it in my face that's fine uh no the words you will never hear bobby <laughs> utter again <laughs> um no ned yost is retiring at the end of the season and um, it seems like the Royals were ready to find a replacement because it's basically already reported that to step into the large and boring and old white shoes of Ned Yost. Like, I won't say that too much. Ned Yost is an interesting character, but baseball-wise, he's pretty boring. Is none other than former St. Louis Cardinals manager, Mike Matheny. Alex, what are the tipping pitches official takes on Mike Matheny? You know, we, we I always set you up f- for failure with these questions. I'm sorry. Yeah, you really do. <laughs> but I feel like a character like Mike Matheny is the very reason that we created this podcast, you know? Like he is kind of high praise. The, yeah. He's the Lex Luthor uh to our Superman, right? That's that's the that's yeah, those are the in the same comic book world. Um <laughs> He, yeah, we. I feel like we we talked at length about Mike Matheny. I think it was um, last year over some uh, flare ups with Dexter Fowler and um, with uh, who? Oh, Bud Norris. That was that was yeah. who it was. Yeah. Um, so Mike Matheny, I guess, feels like the the perfect candidate to fill this role, if only because like the Royals feel so backwards slash upside down in everything that they do that sure why not put the guy who's at the forefront of like regressive baseball managing at the helm of your team like fuck it what else do you have to lose right now you're the royals that's true um i think there's a bigger problem here also in that the royals have already decided who's going to replace ned yost and not given plenty of very qualified people who are already working in baseball the opportunity to really interview for this position or at least to seriously apply right because yeah supposedly he doesn't have the job yet i just it sounds like just he's the favorite right now 
Ah, okay. Well, in any case, if if he does end up getting this job, if not, then maybe we can come back and retract some of this. But um, I was reading this article from the New York Times from last offseason. It's just about like the issue of minority management. Uh, there are only four of baseball's 30 managerial positions filled by people of color. And uh, in 2009, it was 10 out of 30. So we're going in reverse. Um, and it just seems like these guys like Clint Hurdle and Mike Matheny just like continue to just be shoo-ins for these positions where like I don't totally understand why. Like in this article, it mentions that Clint Hurdle went under 500 for seven of his first eight seasons as a manager, got fired by the Rockies and got immediately hired by the the Pirates. So like, why? What do we do? We, well, you don't need to keep this generation of manager in baseball. We don't, we don't need to see more out of largely regressive people who have already failed at this job. Like, it'd be one thing if they were like winning World Series left and right like Joe Torre and sometimes mouthed off about like, you know, regressive masculine stuff. But it's another thing for like these bumbling dudes to just continue to get hired in positions and to not give the the realistic opportunities to people who are already in coaching positions but just have not gotten that chance to be managers at the MLB level yet. Like there's this stat in this piece where it's like um I think like 40 40 or something percent of people or 40% of coaching positions are filled by people of color, but only 4 out of 30 of the actual managerial positions at the MLB level are filled by people of color. So, like, there's clearly a disconnect there in terms of trying to get that last step to where the front office actually invests in you. And I want to read you this quote from Rob Manfred last offseason, where he was he appeared on ESPN radio program, and he was asked about this specifically, um, because... You know, the last year's last year's World Series was the first World Series between two managers of color ever, or two non-white men ever, which is nuts. Um, to Alex Cora and Dave Roberts, and Manfred's response was, "quote It's become a very different interview process as the game has evolved, much more focused on analytics." So that's his explanation for how we've gone in reverse for hiring practices for people of color. It's focused on analytics. So we're saying that people of color can't understand analytics. I mean, it, it, the article goes on to suggest that like there's, there's this Institute for Diversity and Ethics in Sports, which gives report cards for uh, organizations in baseball and for the commissioner's office. And that Manfred actually gets uh, very good remarks for how he's hired in the commissioner's office. But then you see a quote like that and you're like, well, that's not very promising. Um, well, is he... Is he saying that there are so few managers of color because of the that hiring process, or that we we are seeing this matchup in the World Series because these are two very analytically minded managers, and that's the way that the that the game is trending? I think which he's, is not which is not to to cover for Manfred, but I'm genuinely curious. I, I think he's saying that, like, I think the person asking asked why they're only four out of 30 managers are not white while 42.5% of Major League Baseball players are not white. And he's saying that about the analytics and how that drives the hiring process. So I think he's falling back on this kind of trite and really problematic argument uh, that some people use in that a lot of the front office types, like a lot of GMs and um, presidents of baseball operation are like these Harvard types now, you know, the Theo Epsteins of the world. And 
they like are, are relying on like a somehow like relying on like a network of like Ivy League educated and or like people with a certain amount of degrees or who are like former players and whatnot. And I'm like that that just doesn't stand up to the logic. Like I don't really understand what argument he's trying to make, but I'm I'm pretty sure that's what he means. What's fascinating to me about it is like like you were saying earlier, like where does the where where does the track record line up with with all of this? Like a guy like Joe Madden, who is probably gonna not be the manager of the Cubs next season, is like kind of lauded as this really like forward thinking, smart, savvy, analytical thinker, right? Like close with Theo Epstein, um, and consistently cited as like one of the managers who's like on the cusp of just like analytics in baseball simply because he's like a little kooky and yes. he brings clowns into the clubhouse to like cheer up the team. I mean, <laughs> it's like their, their reputation like precedes them in every single case. And at a certain point, like once you've had enough years in the league, you just like, you're just a good manager. That's yeah. like, that's all it is. Track record doesn't matter. You're just good with players or, or so. And I don't even, the Matheny thing is just out there because like there are numerous stories about he, how he was not good with players. And he very clearly was not a good manager of the Cardinals. And for some reason, here he is just like the first name out of the, out of the Royals mouth. It's, it's baffling. When Matheny got fired last year, I think it was last year, right? Or was that this year? Who the fuck knows? Yeah, it was last year. When Matheny got fired last year, we had a Cardinals reporter on the MLB show, and it was basically like, ding dong, the witch is dead. Like, <laughs> everyone was thrilled. Everyone who had to cover the organization, everyone who was a fan of the organization, it was like a kind of a tire fire there. And sure, I mean, obviously you and I don't know everything that went on in that clubhouse, and like, I'm, sh- I'm sure that like he knows enough about baseball to convince the Royals front office that he should get another job but like at the expense of a fair interviewing process at the expense of taking seriously some of these other candidates who have never really had the chance to manage in professional baseball like I just I don't I don't get it he won one pennant with the Cardinals and never really did much of anything else and they missed the playoffs for a few years there while the Cubs are really good and you know Joe Madden is kind of a flashpoint for this conversation I think because He's just very good at branding himself as a smart guy, but kind of a lot of the baseball decisions along the way haven't really met that standard. And I think like some of these like quirky guys who wear like the Madden glasses and beard, like just that look that he has, like some of these guys like are afforded the opportunity to brand themselves as like creative out of the box thinkers about baseball. And like they only have those chances because they were in the managerial position in the first place. The Joe Madden mythos would not have started if it weren't for the 9 equals 8 thing, in which he was already the manager of the Tampa Bay Rays. So there might be another 9 equals 8. There might be another quirky baseball personality of, of for a person who ha- actually happens to be a person of color, but we don't even get the chance for that person to establish that reputation and to become a baseball lifer. Like this... I'm going to cite this New York Times article again because I read it right before we got on the air, but it talks about Willie Randolph, who was the manager of the Mets, and he had an above 500 winning percentage for his career, which is kind of similar to Matheny. And he got fired after 2008, 
for some Mets nonsense, and he hasn't gotten hired since. So we don't have the answer. Like, we don't know why these people are not getting hired again and getting second chances, but there is a case in front of us, and there are not a lot of good explanations, and we better start hearing one in the near future because it's starting to look really suspicious. Uh, Couldn't have said it better myself. All right, let's move on. One guy who I think I would love to see be the manager of my baseball team, Alex, is Pedro Martinez. True icon. Can you imagine Pedro with the New York media if he was the Mets manager? He'd be wonderful. I feel like he is this pretty darn beloved guy and has never really had the the media turn on him. You know, like he hasn't really needed his redemption story because ever since he's kind of been out there in his post um, player career, like he's just been pretty affable and the good guy to have around. There was that time that he like tackled some old coach on the, on the Yankees or something like that. Yes, and that was he whole... did. He did take down Don Zimmer during yeah. that, that massive fight between the Red Sox and the Yankees. It happens from time to time. But yes. other than that, um, we love Pedro here in these parts. And Pedro did an AMA with Bleacher Report. And uh, I have not read it yet. So you are going to uh, give me the touch points, the highlights from that for me and for the listener. Are you ready? Tom, are you ready? I don't know if I am. <laughs> um, yeah, I just want to run through a few of the highlights, and there are uh, quite a few of these, and it's not the most intuitive way to read them uh, because you can only do it through Bleacher Reports app. So I screenshotted them, and I'm going to be just scrolling through my my screenshots right now. But um, So the first question uh, from a Bleacher Report commenter is, what's your favorite Manny moment? So Pedro goes, oh my God. My favorite moment with Manny would probably be Johnny Damon throwing a ball back and Manny cutting it off. Dot, dot, dot. Manny going and pissing inside the wall at Fenway. What? I'm sorry, Pedro Martinez? (laughs) (laughs) I need some clarification. Are these two stories linked? Yeah, that dot, dot, dot is doing a lot of work. (laughs) So much heavy lifting. Is this the same thing? Did he cut the ball off from Johnny Damon? And then as the play continued to unfold, just he just out. was like, well, got to go relieve myself now. Do you remember when we had the the Red Sox employees being forced to poop their pants story? I do remember that very vividly. Wow. A lot of we, uh, we, we really, we really broke circle. that story. Yeah. We did break that story. Not enough, not enough people are talking about that. No, not enough people are. So if you ever want to talk to us about... Red Sox employees pooping their pants and Manny Ramirez just pissing on the green monster. Please <laughs> hit us up. <laughs> Weird brand to establish for ourselves. All right, what's yeah, up next? Honestly. Up next, what's your funniest locker room story? Pedro goes, just the fact that I was in, <laughs> just the fact that I was inside a jacuzzi. You know how little those tubs are for one person. <laughs> I decided to take. I decided to take all my clothes off. Go in naked so no one would come in. Four men jumped in. So uh, Pedro was getting close with his teammates. Uh, <laughs> clearly. Lots of talk about locker room culture, but uh, not enough talk about just grown men taking baths together. And that's really what it's all about at the end of the day, right? Do you think Pedro could come on the podcast and break down the uh, uh, setting that is a baseball locker room? Like, Do you think he could give us a career's ethnography of locker room culture? 
Absolutely. Well, because like, I feel like when we think about locker rooms, like we think about a bunch of like sweaty guys just sitting around by their lockers and they're usually changing. And a lot of times that's what it is, but it really is like way more than that. Like they spend so much intimate time together and apparently a lot of it is naked in jacuzzis, which is, (laughs) you know, news to me. So there you go. Yeah. Like, how do you fill that time? You know, like, what do you even talk about? Yeah. Like, are Especially you since like... <laughs> you consider the fact that, like, so many baseball players are just boring and don't have that much to share. Like, all of their life experience. This is not true about everyone, but so many of these guys' life experience is, like, three hours of batting practice every day from the time that they were, like, seven to the time that they were, like, 24. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. It's not a ton to share. Is, like, what I want to know about this anecdote is... Was like Pedro the only one naked? Did the four other guys like strip down naked too? And they were like, "Well, we got to match the vibe, you know. We're not gonna, we're not gonna show up to the party in a clown suit or something like that." <laughs> and so you just have five grown men like looking in each other's eyes in a little jacuzzi, talking. I don't know about the weather. Talking like s- maybe, maybe Pedro Martinez is just fighting toxic masculinity, and we haven't even known it. Yeah, how would we know without him coming on tipping pitches and telling us? Clearly, Pedro Martinez, come on. Uh, Next up, this is a good one. Uh, What do you think of A-Rod as an announcer? I think he's good. (laughs) I I think he's well prepared. He really didn't pull any punches. Would like to see more of a true personality from A-Rod. Has always been an enigma where he doesn't show the true (laughs) A-Rod, where he's maybe a little insecure. I think he's a shy person, someone who's not going to give you exactly what he's really feeling. But I can relate to him because when you're in the spotlight for so long, you try to reserve your personal way of being to media and especially to exposure. Wow. I think, I, I think A-Rod has a little bit of both. Um, I didn't expect him to get that deep. Yeah, seriously. On, on Alex Rodriguez. Fuck me up, Pedro. <laughs> <laughs> like he called him a little insecure and I was like, all right, maybe that's just a cheap shot. And then he started talking about like living in the spotlight and wanting to show your true self. And now I don't. Now I have a lot more sympathy for A-Rod. Like, maybe he's right. That's like the kind of quote where you hear it and you're like, do people actually talk like that? Like, in full sentences where they just psychoanalyze other people? Like, it feels very, uh, like, TV show where, like, you hear the dialogue and you're like, people don't think of that off the top of their head. Well, Pedro does think of that off the top of his head. Yeah, honestly. This this coming directly after talking about naked jacuzzis. So, you know, he's a he's a man of many colors. <laughs> I was going to say interests, but that works too. <laughs> um, if you faced Mike Trout for one at bat in your prime, what would happen? Pedro Martinez, you got to love him, says, I'd probably get him. I could locate, hit close to 100. I'd have three pitches. He's the best in the game, but I wouldn't say by far. Which is Whoa. a take. Jeez. I I think I agree. I mean, if you face Mike Trout for one at bat and you're one of the greatest pitchers of all time, you have a righty-on-righty matchup, you're obviously really smart, you have a big pitch repertoire, you've spent a lot of time as an analyst watching Mike Trout, um, I feel like he could get him out. I feel like it'd be way more likely that he would strike him out because, like, I mean, Mike Trout is great and everything, but, like, even Mike Trout has to kind of adjust to seeing someone's repertoire for the first time. And Pedro obviously has all of the pitches, all of the stuff, but also like kind of that he can like disguise his stuff really well, I feel like. So one at bat against Mike Trout, upper hand, Pedro. I'm with him. I'm with him. He also mentioned, did you see 
I think the first question that he answered was, if there was one batter that you wish you could face right now, who would it be? And he yeah. said, uh, I wish it was Aaron Judge because he finds it interesting how tall he is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, uh, and, the, and, he's, and like, he's a nice guy. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I would have loved to start that rivalry. I feel like it would have been a good rivalry, which yeah. is really true because Pedro, this short dude on the mound who kind of like, really packs it all in his personality and his stuff and not necessarily his physique. And then you have Aaron Judge who like looks like fucking Adonis up there. That would have been really fun. Cross-generational batter-pitcher rivalries is always fun to imagine. Yeah, it's way more fun than imagining Pedro against Babe Ruth who would just like strike him out in three pitches. No question about it. I was reading... Again, I'm still reading Ben Lindbergh's book. I'm progressing very slowly. I have a lot of pods to crush, you know? But, uh... Never say that phrase again. <laughs> That's the sarcastic phrase that we use. <laughs> uh, us podcast producers over at The Ringer, we uh, just crush in pods all day long. Anyway, uh, I was reading Ben's book and it, it was talking about, uh, you know, swing trajectory and launch angle and stuff like that. And it's like this one dude comes on. I forget who even was talking about it. I think it was, uh, I think it was Dave Latta, the swing coach for the Dodgers or like he's like an independent swing coach but he works with a lot of Dodgers players Justin Turner included and Cody Bellinger and he was like he was like you look back at guys like Ted Williams and uh, you look at Babe Ruth and it's like these dudes are swinging upward like look at Babe Ruth like his back foot is off the ground when he's swinging and he hit all these home runs and he had all this power and I'm like what? You want Justin Turner to remodel his swing based off Babe Ruth? (laughs) And then you watch Cody Bellinger swing and you're kind of like, wow, that kind of makes sense. He does kind of (laughs) swing off his front foot and like lean into it. And he has this crazy uppercut swing that does look a little Ruthian, but like with way more speed and strength. And you're just like, wow, time is a flat circle, right? Back to my thing from last week where everybody is just everyone. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, maybe Babe Ruth was onto something when he was just like crushing three hot dogs before the game. Yes. Physical specimen Babe Ruth. Okay, are there any um, more highlights? That uh, that actually leads me into my very last one that I want to share with you all because Pedro has answered this question once and for all. And the question is, is a hot dog a sandwich? And Pedro Martinez says, um, no. God damn it. So there you have it, folks. What are you going to argue with Pedro Martinez? Wow. Well, I might actually have to back off an argument for the first time in my life. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way every day goes Every time we've no control If the sky is pink and white If the ground is black and yellow It's the same way you show me Nod my head, don't close my eyes Halfway on a slow move It's the same way you show me Alright Alex, we're approaching the end of what feels like a very long baseball season. For me, it feels like there were four or five baseball seasons within one because I have been tracking the New York Mets season and it can never just be one continuous thing that makes any sense. It has to be 17 different things. Do you remember when Jason Vargas was on the Mets and tried to fight a Newsday reporter? Oh boy, do I. This is, I feel like this past week has been me just like, like this is the point in the season where you'd be like, wow, that was that was this season? Like Kendris Morales was on the A's this year? Because he was, but I didn't remember that until yesterday. Well, it's really hard. I think, especially since we've started doing the podcast, it's really hard to remember what happened in what season and and like when, where we were at the stage of our 
lives and careers and within this podcast because like the only thread week to week for us, it's not like this is the story of 2019. Like we're not talking about Pete Alonzo's home run chase every weekend. We're we're talking about like our emotions and and like these kind of cultural stories within baseball and they don't necessarily fit like within that year to year bookend necessarily. So like sometimes I think back on like when we started the podcast and it was like we started by talking about that the Dodgers and the Astros were like within the midst of like the two greatest regular seasons ever for for two teams at the same time and like that kind of still applies and and some other stuff doesn't apply. So it's very hard to remember who's on what team when basically yeah. is what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, this is around the the point when I think people start asking and we start looking at like, you know, like how, like just how was the season in general? And like you're saying, it's a very hard thing for us to reflect on because we're very much in the trenches of it all, like all year long, week to week and trying to cover so much ground and, you know, failing as I think everyone does. But it, I, I think it, begs the question of just like what we what we really want out of a baseball season and it was hannah kaiser who um brought this question to my attention on on twitter this morning of just like the idea of like like what makes a a good baseball season if the yankees face off against the dodgers as she hypothesized is that is that good for baseball would we be happy with that are we are we happy with the the chaos of it all of the Phillies narrowly missing the playoffs after the, the Bryce Harper sweepstakes. And there are no easy answers, but I'm, I don't know. I'm curious to hear kind of, kind of what you think in your, in your reflections back on this 2019 season. I think I'm pretty disappointed with it. I hate to say that because there are a lot of really good teams to watch. Like I think, I've derived a lot of joy from watching a lot of Astros this year and Yankees with their crazy season of injuries and stuff. And, you know, I live in LA now, so I've gotten to go to a lot of Dodgers games and I've taken a ton of joy from that. So I won't say that it was like a complete lost season or anything like that, just because like the Mets are about to get eliminated by the fucking Marlins, but that's a different story. Um, I think generally it feels like a pretty big failure lead league-wide because of a lot of stuff that we talked about in the offseason. You know, I hate to be like labor dude, but like most of these teams were not trying to be good. So like how can I say really that this was a great baseball season when all of the divisions have been wrapped up for quite a while? I mean, the NL Central was tight-ish and I guess technically remains unclinched but the Cardinals um, took it back from the Cubs, and that was the only real division race that kind of was still in contention other than the AL Central, um, which the Twins kind of pulled away in the last few weeks or so. And you yeah, don't neither, have... The, the Twins and the Indians, like neither team was really trying to even win going into the season. So even that one is like a, is like a toss-up, right? Like, are exactly. we even happy with this? <laughs> like... All of the heavy hitters were not challenged. Like you think about the Yankees, they weren't pushed by the Red Sox and the Rays. Like you think about uh, the Dodgers, they weren't even pretend pushed by any team in the NL West. And uh, in my division as well, like the the Braves just ran away with it. Like and credit to credit to all of those teams, of course, because they've built an incredible infrastructure. But like we shouldn't be satisfied with the fact that there are like six good teams 
Like I would be much more satisfied with the fact that there are six really good teams and six also good teams chasing at or nipping at their heels. And that th- doesn't feel like there is that. Like the only thing that we really got was the AL and the NL wild card, just based off like mathematics. You know, like I don't think the teams that ended up in these chases necessarily were like all in, or I don't even think that these are particularly deep chases. Like the NL one, it's not really that real. Like the Mets don't didn't really have a chance for like the last couple of weeks. They got into it by getting really hot at the end of the season. And that was fun for me to watch, I guess, for for like a month. But I mean, there's only really like three teams in each division that even had a chance at the wild card spot. And it's just frustrating because like I would have loved to see this many races or I would have loved to see like a few more divisional races. And then I think this year would have been a really good year because I think the narrative would have been more like really good teams with good teams pushing them to be really good. But now it just sort of feels like really good teams because they're just like smarter and they've just been taking advantage of the bad teams for the last five years, or they've just been taking advantage of the fact that they inherently have um, uh, the privilege of having way more money than all of the bad teams. And I don't think that that's a good baseball season. And I don't think that we should not say that just because like we're heading into the playoffs and we know that that's going to be fun. Like we should probably recognize the fact that like 18 teams have a 0% chance of getting into playoffs now and basically had like a 0.05% chance of getting in on like April 25th. Yeah, I mean, I think that my biggest issue is that so many of the the best storylines of the season were undercut by much more sinister moves at play. I mean, I was watching the uh, I was watching the Rays game the other night. Uh, because I'm currently invested in how well they do over the next week. Um, and they, by all accounts, have been a, a pretty darn fun team to watch this year. They've had some fun breakout players. And, um, y- you know, I mean, they have Blake Snell, who's had an up and down year, but like overall, like they, um, overall, they have fielded a, a good team. And yet, you have the the broadcasters talking about just how, like how stunning it is, like how good they've been on on such a small payroll over the last few years, and talk and like putting them up against the Dodgers and the Yankees, and being like, well, they've you know they've been able to hang with all these heavy hitters, and it's like, well, so imagine <laughs> imagine how good they could be if they spent money, you know, yeah. like I, I know that like there's a point of diminishing returns that you hit. But like you're never gonna know until you try, right? And that's why, that's why, like I, I don't think I was so much angered by the or, or disappointed by the way that the season played out, but I was very frustrated because, I mean, for the very reasons that you're saying, right? Like I think that the teams like the Padres and maybe the White Sox were especially the Padres were some of the most fun teams to watch because they actually like did shit. Right. And mm-hmm. that, and that made them interesting. They called up their best po- prospects. They signed some of the best team uh, players in baseball. So I, I think that that's, you know, as we go forward as fans, that's something we should call upon all our teams to do because it makes for a better sport, makes for a better product. The Tigers are in the midst of tanking and, have netted a few first overall picks and are nowhere near 
being good. I mean, they are still carrying a lot of dead weight on that roster, and they do not have reinforcements coming up anytime soon. And it's pretty abysmal to watch because it's not fun, and they could have been very good. So, uh, so I'm I'm bummed, but I'm also um, hopeful because I do think that like we're in a time of unparalleled young talent in the league. And I, and I hope that we see some sort of um, rebalancing sometime soon. And I'm not talking about the Red Sox just trading Mookie bets. Cause that's just, you know, fucking stupid to put it nicely. And here's the thing I will say that that's sort of a silver lining for me from this year. And that's, there are really truly like a lot of young and talented players that are amazing to watch in baseball. And, and you know, we talked about that when uh, Ben Lindbergh wrote a piece about all of the best young hitters in baseball and how unprecedented it feels. And we talked about it sort of in a negative light in that a lot of these guys are being criminally underpaid, right? But I think as fans, we should still probably appreciate everything that they're doing and how amazing it is. And th- the Padres are a great example of that for having called up Fernando Tatis Jr. Um, but also like, Ronald Acuna might just be the next great player in baseball. Like he might just take that belt right from Mike Trout and being a historically incredible um, toolsy outfielder. And that's a blessing for us as fans and and people who love to watch the league grow. Um, Juan Soto is an amazing mature talent in, in Washington. And he's just like the complete package at the plate and a really fun guy to watch take at bats. And, you know, there, there are a whole litany of guys who like made this season I think worth watching. Um, to Hannah's other question about would a Dodgers Yankees World Series matchup be good because of big markets? Like, I, I don't really get into that. Like, I don't really care about the market matchup. You know, I don't care about the viewership, although sometimes I like to to use that in arguments in favor of baseball still when a lot of my colleagues like to talk about the NBA finals, but yet the uh, the World Series still gets better viewership, guys. Like, it's okay. Um, baseball's not dead. Um, I don't totally care about like the market size of the matchup. I think that it would be cool to see a Dodgers Yankees World Series matchup because those teams are really good. Like I would feel the same way if it was like A's Dodgers because both of those teams are really good and I mean obviously I, I support the A's but um you know Rays Dodgers like any any one of these teams that are like full of really interesting players I think would make for a good World Basically, Series any matchup. of the any of the teams are making it into the playoffs this year. I mean, and that really well, yes. is like what it is, right? Like, yeah, you know, the only time that I really think like the World Series is always good. Like, I I just don't when people fret about like how Rob Manfred is going to feel about who which teams make it to the World Series. I think that's so silly because like the only time the World Series matchup can be bad is like if a truly boring or like team that wasn't trying to win just sneaks into the wild card and then suddenly gets hot for three weeks. Like, I think that's the only time it's ever really a quote-unquote problem uh, in terms of who makes it to the World Series. But for the most part, like, the teams that make it are really deserving because it's really hard to make it into the playoffs in baseball. So many things can go so wrong, as evidenced by a lot of the teams this year and the Mets every single year. So usually the best teams do make it after 162-game sample size. So whoever ends up matching up in the World Series, something interesting is going to happen. Yankees-Dodgers would be cool for a few reasons. The New York ties, the the old-timiness of it, and uh, I think it's a cool uniform matchup, you know, aesthetically, like to see like the classicness 
of both of those uniforms and of both of those teams and the storied franchises, like, I think that would be good. But, like, I don't necessarily think that that's predictable, you know? Like, maybe people were suggesting that all along, but, like, how can you really trust that? You you can't. Like, people were probably suggesting that for the last few years, and that matchup still hasn't happened. Like, before the season, I would have guessed probably Dodgers-Astros rematch, maybe if I was going to go with what seemed the most statistically likely. So, I, I don't know. I, I think the playoffs are always going to end up being good because playoff baseball is like, it just like sets your hair on fire every year and it never fails. Um, so, I, I care less about like the actual politics of the World Series matchup. Unrelated to almost everything that you uh, just said, but uh, my hot take is that I think that the the Yankees jerseys are... Uh, are are just a tad bit overrated. Like <laughs> they're like they're like the uh, <laughs> they're the Mike Matheny of baseball jerseys. You know, oh, wow. Like they just they just keep hanging around because they've got the history, and you just don't really know why. That's and I'm not going to say any more on it. I'm gonna I'm just going to leave it at that. Yeah, I'll let that marinate. Respectfully disagree. Uh, I don't frequently have to back the Yankees on this podcast or anywhere, but it seems as though I have to respectfully disagree with you. Okay, uh, so we've been doing this thing all year. Um, it was a new addition in the tw- in the 2019 version of the podcast, where it's called Three Up, Three Down. If you're a listener, you know we've been chronicling this season based off our interests and how they fluctuated. So this will be the final Three Up, Three Down for the regular season. Alex, we will of course continue this into the playoffs because it is a way for us to talk about the smaller things that we don't get to hit on all the time. So um, without further ado, why don't you start us off this week? Three down off your list. Three down off my list. First off, <laughs> it feels weird to say this given um, the the podcast that we just had, but uh, September baseball is off my list um, only because we're inching towards October and now that's really all that's... Uh, that's on my mind, especially now that much of much of the chaos is settling down. Thank you so, for explaining uh, calendars to the listeners. <laughs> yeah, well, you you got to know. Some people don't know, man. Uh, next off my list is the uh, the column that I brought up last week, um, the about women watching and not understanding baseball. I very very short shelf life on that one. So. Uh, kicking that one to the road as well. And last off my list, as much as it pains me, something's got to go. And uh, and it's D. Gordon eating in and out whenever the Marlins visit cities <laughs> that have an in and out. I spiritually, we will always be connected in that way. And so like he's on my eternal uh, three up list, but uh, but this week he's got to go. I'm sorry, D. I'm sorry. Love that guy. What's uh, What's coming off your list this week? Uh, off my list this week, uh, baseball bromances. Um, I think that was still on my list. You know, I wrote it down that it was still on my list, so I'm just going to take my own word for it. Uh, last week, I did the weird thing with the long and winding road of baseball as it relates to Mike Yastrzemski and Carl Yastrzemski. Um, that's coming off my list this week because I did not do DMT before this recording of this podcast like I did last week. Um and the final thing that's coming off my list is Carlos Carrasco. Not because I don't care about his comeback story and how incredible that's been and how much I love him as a player and as a person, um, but just because I'm I'm hoping that uh, much like September baseball, Indians baseball is going to be uh, gone within the next week or so so that the 
A's and the Rays continue into the wild card and the A's advance. I don't want to, I, I want the Indians to play bad. And that's why I'm kicking Carlos Carrasco off my list this week, Alex. It's in, <laughs> it's in solidarity with you. <laughs> Tough but fair. I, I appreciate it. Gotta be me. Okay. Um, all right. What's uh, coming onto your list this week? First on my list this week, I would like to talk about a reliever for the Minnesota Twins who has, uh, who has 22 innings under his belt in his career. And that might be a weird way to introduce him <laughs> or, uh, <laughs> or a weird addition to the list. Uh, his name is Randy Dobnik, I believe. That's, I'm saying his name right. And I, by all accounts, he seems like a, like a good thrower of baseballs. He's got a two ERA this year and, uh, he's from Pennsylvania. So, you know, he's done state he's baby. Got, yeah. So he's got that going for him. And, uh, while account seems like or a great guy him. and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I am, uh, I I'm rooting for, for his success, in the major leagues, but that's not quite what I want to talk about. I want to talk about how the, how the Minnesota twins have been, uh, have been selling his talents and how they've been selling his talents is by touting the fact that he has a 4.9 rating as an Uber driver. Uh. And the reason I bring this up is because it just seems like a bad look for a major league baseball team, a professional sports team, to be highlighting the fact that one of their players literally has to have a second job to be able to pay their income. Yeah. This is a guy who was literally called up earlier this year and in his downtime in the off season is an Uber driver. Now, shouts out to Randy for having a 4.9 rating. I would absolutely ride in his car, but I don't think that as the employee of a team that's ostensibly worth hundreds of millions, dare I say billions of dollars that he should be having to do this. I'm sorry. And I, uh, I don't want to beat the, beat the minor leaguer should be paid higher wages, dead horse that we beat a million times on this podcast. But here I am because minor leaguers should be paid higher. Sorry. I'm not sorry. I just don't get how you do that. I, shouts to him, you know, like how do you have the time to drive Uber and also become a professional pitcher who has a sub two ERA. Maybe, uh, maybe the Mets reliever should start driving Uber. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, honestly, yeah. It just makes me think about like, imagine just if you paid your players more, that like this idea that they could devote more time to the sport that you want them to be good at. Yeah. Like maybe they would be healthier. Maybe they would spend more time at the ballpark instead of driving random strangers around for cheap. Like I, there's a, there's a multitude of angles to this, but it, uh, it got under my skin and I, I would be remiss if I didn't bring it up on this podcast. So, uh, so there you go. Justice for Randy Dobnik. Yeah. And we should probably just end this by also saying that no one should have to work two jobs in this country, the richest country on earth. Um, okay, let's move on. Alex, Fernando Tatis Jr. and Pete Alonso got to play the entire 2019 baseball season, and that's it. That's the tweet, man. I don't really have a ton more to say. We talked about this already today, but um, it's good. You know, you should let your players that are the best players on the 40-man roster 
play for as many of the 162 games as they feel comfortable and can handle. Uh, that's I don't feel like that's particularly that hot of a take, but I bet you if this room was filled with uh, filled with general managers, that they might feel that it was kind of a hot take. So therein lies the problem, my friend. Therein lies the problem. And those were two of the most fun players and the most rewarding players, I think, for fans to watch all year. Pete's chasing 52, and uh, Tatis, before he got hurt, was going to win Rookie of the Year. I hate to admit it, but... Uh, those are two really incredible players that I'm excited to watch for the rest of their careers. And it just goes to show what can actually happen when you play the exciting young players on your team. Yeah, literally. Like, the Mets are on the cusp of a playoff content. I don't know if I should say that on the podcast, as you are uh, very closely <laughs> following the Mets-Marlins game right now. Yeah, but well, Pete that, Alonso um, has been a- almost got doubled off first as you said that, so <laughs> fucking be careful, okay? <laughs> but... Pete Alonso has been a a revelation, historically good, juiced ball or not. So it's just like, play your good players. They could probably help you. They could help you win baseball games, which at the end of the day is low-key the point of all of this. I don't know if you knew that, <laughs> but winning, very good. Yes. Okay, uh, what's up next for you? All right, next up on my list, I'd like to, uh, I'd like to talk about Scott Boris and wet bags. What? So Chris Bryant is uh is injured. He got injured this uh this past weekend. He's uh he hurt his ankle r- rolling it over on a presumably slippery bag. He is oh, like, those kind likely of bags. out for the uh <laughs> I was like wet bags. <laughs> oh yeah, there were many directions that uh that we could have gone in with that. But um but uh he hurt his ankle and Scott Boris agent for Chris Bryant is very mad about this. He's mad about the safety integrity of bags, I guess, mm-hmm. bases, if you will, in uh, in the sport of baseball to the point that he, uh, he's gone out and gone on record um, about the fact that Rob Manfred isn't doing jack shit about the safety of his players. He says, uh, yeah, Scott Boris. He says, <laughs> uh, what have they done since Harper? The answer is nothing. They're, they're focused on other factors, economic factors, all things relating to how they can administer the game, and yet the safety of players and resolution of this issue has gone without any attention. The integrity of our game is going to be damaged when the safety of players is not at the forefront, and Major League Baseball has dropped the bet. <laughs> and Major League Baseball <laughs> has dropped the ball on the wet bag <laughs> subject. <laughs> <laughs> to which I say, <laughs> I agree. Yeah, man. I, I think he's onto something. I. You either Safe. die you either die a lefty podcast host or live long enough to see yourself agree with Scott Boris. Literally. I mean, he's a pro labor king, right? He's just trying to get people more money. So hats off to him, even if it means that he's skimming money off the top of every one of those deals. Um <laughs> I love the mob as well. <laughs> um in all seriousness, I I think it's right. Every so often for someone to uh, to just talk about safety of players as like a real thing. I, yeah. If you if you will recall, Mike Trout hurt his hand sliding headfirst into a bag and broke his finger doing that, and uh, and was out a significant chunk of time. I believe it was what was it was that last season. Yeah. Um, so like, as long as we're examining fundamental parts of the game, like 
rule changes where you place a runner on second at random intervals or trying to put make clocks a part of the whole thing for some reason might as well just tackle the thing the like the very fundamental aspects of it like if there's a there's a way to make bases safer i'm all for it if we want to do breakaway bases because they will literally not make mike trout and adalberto mondesi like get hurt i i'm pro that me too i think it speaks volumes the fact that uh since our man rob has taken over baseball we have now had two fundamental controversies over the bare elements of the game, the balls and the bases. Baseball. Rob Manfred can't figure it out. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, what are we I'm, doing? Yeah. What is, what is the bat controversy going to be? You know, like, are we going to suddenly get like six foot long bats? Is Rob almost, Manfred going to start tampering with the bats? Almost definitely. They're going to like fucking decide to, for some reason, without crossing it with the players union they're going to decide to like ban the axe handle bats that like Mookie Betts and some other players use Justin Turner and uh, they're not going to tell them why or when it's just going to go into effect and all of these people are going to file grievances with the union and uh, that's probably what's going to happen so you heard it here September 24th I'm predicting that the axe bats will be banned by Rob Manfred for reasons unknown to literally everybody I'm predicting that they're just going to start corking them themselves you know, yeah. why not? Why not at this point? Just like Nelson Cruz just like picks up a bat and the ball goes like 520 and he's like, well, uh, <laughs> should I say something? <laughs> Honestly, I'd watch that sport. Who am I kidding? Um, okay, next up for me. Speaking of corking the bats, um, with the regular bats, forget the corked bats, with the regular bats that we have now, let's assume that Manfred does not cork them. However, let's assume that the balls remain juiced. Um, This topic came up on the Ringer MLB show today. Who do you think is... It was because of Cody Bellinger and because he was hitting 400 through, I think, like June 1st or July 1st or something like that. Um, Is there there a player in baseball who you think is most likely to hit 400 for an entire season? I mean, obviously, I think we agree that that's probably not tenable. We are past the point there are just too many strikeouts league-wide. And it's not incentivized to hit 400, really. It's much more incentivized to slug a lot better than league average. But if there was one guy that you had to settle on and, uh, I don't know, you could make like a million dollars or something like that if he actually did it, who who would it be? Yeah, I I mean, you need like a... You need quite a combination of skills to be able to do that. I mean, not only like bat-to-ball skills, but you need to be able to, to sustain like high BABIP. You need... Uh, an element of speed to be able to beat out like close plays to be able to eke out those like infield hits. Yeah. Um, you know, two or three years ago, I might've said a guy like Jose Altuve, but he doesn't really have the speed for that kind of thing anymore. I think a guy like Luis Arias. Yeah. Would be I named a him good, today too. And they made would, fun of me, but whatever. Wow. Fuck them. <laughs> 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 but it's good to know that we're uh, we're you know the the mind meld is still there. Um, I I mean you know he's it's not like he's particularly fast, but if you make contact with basically every single pitch you see, like you're gonna get a decent amount of hits. That's just statistics right there. That's some saber metrics for you, nerds. So um, <laughs> I <laughs> I don't know. I mean, 
is the is the thinking that we can place this player in any environment like could dj lemayhew right now hit 400 if he was traded back to the rockies yeah maybe yeah that's an interesting thought experiment here's the thought experiment that i went through um if they were to ban the shift because that's a thing that's apparently on the table which is dumb but whatever if they were to ban the shift i kind of think that jeff mcneil could do it (laughs) because he's so good at just kind of like doing whatever he needs to with a pitch and if you can't just hammer him inside and overload the right side and force him to dump it to the right side, then I feel like he might be able to just do it. Like that's not very uh, hard hitting analysis. Like I didn't look up like the <laughs> like the position of his batted balls in relation to uh, when he's hitting against the shift or not hitting against the shift. But all I know is like it seems like he can make contact with basically any pitch, and with the balls as live as they are. And with his speed and just like he's really quick out of the box as well, like not just like getting down the line, but like he kind of slaps a little bit from time to time and um, or kind of more than from time to time, actually. But his contact rate and and speed and getting out of the box that fast, like if he doesn't have any hits taken away by the shift and he's not forced to like go the opposite direction for whatever reason, like I think that he could do it. I don't think that he would. But I think that he's probably my best bet. Uh, I just want to point out that if you move the uh, uh, the minimum plate appearances down to like 350, the one and only Howie Kendrick is leading all of Major League Baseball in batting average with 345. So uh, fuck it. Just a 37-year-old, 36-year-old Howie Kendrick could do for it. Because why for not? the love of God, please bottle up whatever Howie Kendrick and Nelson Cruz are having and sell it. <laughs> sell it. Literally, you want to talk time being a flat circle? That's that's just it right there. Yep. Pretty much. Um, okay. I think we're up to the final thing on your list. Final thing on my list is is not a really a fleshed out thought, but just more of a feeling that I can't describe. And that's just little moments of joy watching baseball like and maybe this undercuts my pro DH argument a little bit, but uh, but Hyunjin Ryu hit a home run uh, this past weekend. Or wow. Actually, I think it was yesterday. And it was a really glorious thing. And just as glorious, actually, was Joe Davis's call on the home run, um, who was just absolutely stunned. And he called him Babe Ryu, which is a perfect <laughs> call for that sort of thing. And I was just thinking about that. And I was watching Vin Scully uh, this weekend call Clayton Kershaw's no-hitter because that's what I do at 11 p.m. at night. And I think I just sometimes like to reflect on these things that bring us joy. And and seeing the the Dodgers booth go from from Vin Scully, this this unique, colorful character, and have the reins be handed over to this young guy like Joe Davis, who has done, a, by all accounts, a, a wonderful job of filling those shoes by by trying to be something so different and not be Vin Scully, and and that's really all it takes, right? Like, I think that that's been a, a real joy to behold. I mean, no one is Vin Scully, but. I think the more people who actually just try to be themselves and let their joy for the game shine through as they watch it, that's that's better for us as viewers. So what I'm saying is have 
have Joe Davis go and call the World <laughs> Series. Like, yeah. every single playoff game. Give me that over Joe Buck and John Swoltz any day of the week and twice on Sundays. Is there anyone that's more slandered on this podcast than Joe Buck and John Smoltz? I guess Rob Manfred, but those are probably the that's the holy trinity. Yeah, but are we wrong? I mean, no. Of course, I don't think we're wrong. <laughs> I would love to hear from a listener who might think that we're wrong. Let's have yeah. a fucking conversation across the aisle. Uh, no, I, I agree with you. I think it's definitely a really salient point, the idea of being yourself instead of trying to be something. Like, I think the problem with listening to Joe Buck is that he's trying to be this reserved, old-timey, like, version of an announcer who just sort of, like, lets the game speak for itself or whatever and and lets John Smoltz kind of fill that dead air with, like, bad takes. Yeah. But um, I like that about, like, someone like Jason Benetti, who's, like, he, you really hear his, like, personality jump out of the booth. And you're much more likely to... If, if you're being yourself and you're being authentic to yourself and how much you really love the game, you're much more likely to resonate with people. But following in the the footsteps of someone as like iconic as Vin Scully, you, you're much more likely to kind of be a foil to him. Like, you're never going to be the same as him. Like, you're never going to be as good as him at what he does. So you can accentuate what was so great about his career by being like a next page as opposed to just trying to be a continuation of the same page in that book. And I, I think it's really, it's going to be really interesting for me to watch like any kind of booth transition in however long, hopefully never, but however long from now the Mets booth starts to transition over from uh, Gary Cohen and Keith Hernandez and whatnot because, uh, and Ron Darling and because all of my adult baseball fandom and, and, has been spent with these guys. So uh, I'm obviously on a much smaller scale than like what the Vin Scully thing was like for Dodgers fans. But yeah, I think it's good that I think it's good to point that out where you see it. And um, what are we? We're back to the. I forgot that we started out by talking about Hyunjin Ryu homering. So I, I can't let you off the hook without pointing out that um, the DH is bullshit. That's uh, that's wrong but it's an argument for another day. And it's an argument that we've already had on this podcast, so we, we absolutely don't need to rehash that one. So instead of that, you want to just give me the, the last thing going up on your list this week? I would love to. Uh, okay, the last thing going up on my list this week, big couple weeks on the podcast for one Marcus Stroman. Alex, the last thing going up on my list this week is Marcus Stroman versus his almost team, the New York Yankees. Brian Cashman, Yankees general manager, much praised Yankees general manager, had a quote earlier today where he said, we were interested in Stroman, but we didn't think he would be a difference maker. We felt he would be in our bullpen in the postseason. And then Marcus Stroman (laughs) responded by tweeting out a very pretty graphic where on the left side is, uh, is him and his stats for the season. And on the right side is the Yankees starter stats for the season. Are you ready for me to list them off really quickly? 323, 323 to 449 in ERA. 380 to 474 in FIP. Hell yeah, Marcus Stroman sharing FIP. You'd love to see it. 4.1 war in 31 starts versus 6.9 war in 135 starts for the Yankees. And home runs per nine, 0.91 versus 1.75 for the Yankees starters. So uh, basically he dunked all over the Yankees' lame asses. And uh, I think Brian Cashman was just getting a little bit of non-buyer's remorse. And he was just trying to convince himself that he made the right move. 
when in fact the Yankees are going to get eliminated by the Oakland A's in the AL Division Series because their starters are not going to be able to get out of the third inning and our beloved Matt Chapman, our beloved Matt Olson, our beloved Ramon Laureano and all of those guys are going to punish them while our even more beloved Homer Bailey is fucking dealing on the other side, Alex. Oh God, this is just talking about A's versus Yankees in the playoffs is giving me traumatic flashbacks. So I have to, <laughs> I just have to, I have to stop you right there because I'm gonna, I'm gonna break down in tears or just curl up in a ball on the floor and and rock back and forth for the next week and a half. But you know, we'll we'll see what happens, and I'm I am excited to to watch it for sure. All right, uh, I think we might have done our longest podcast for our final podcast, so uh, we're always at our bullshit. So um, we hope that this has been an enjoyable 2019 baseball season for you, even if it wasn't quite the most enjoyable for us. It's been fun doing the podcast in any case. And I don't know why I'm talking about this like it's a postmortem. We are going to continue <laughs> know, to do this say, podcast. It sounds like into this is the, the last podcast ever. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not the case. We are going to continue to produce this podcast feed right yes we will absolutely we're gonna be back on our bullshit next week doing the exact same thing so this is a, it's a bit premature but you know we just want to it's been a year it's been quite a year and uh and we gotta wind down a little bit before we wind back up for the postseason it's a it's a reset for all of us best of luck to anyone who is listening who has a team in contention for the wild card or who has a team that will play in the wild card, which will probably happen before the next time we record this podcast. Alex, that includes you and I, I guess me technically still and with the A's. So not technically. Um, we will be back in about a week. And by then, hopefully we have a good idea of the playoff picture and we have some really cool stuff to talk about with those matchups. Uh, thank you as always for listening and we'll see you soon. Yeah.